She says, I want you to know who I am. And she sings that over and over. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know who I am. It's really the spirit of our age. And it's the spirit of our age to want to be known. We talk about that a lot. And, you know, there's things where we want people to know us. want people to accept us for who we are. And while there's a lot of good and commendable things about that, we also know that much of the emphasis on that has become unhealthy. It's become self-absorbed. It can almost even take on a sort of sense of like, I want you to guess. I want you to figure it out. I don't even know who I am, but I want you to, 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 to know me for who I am. And when we take on that attitude, instead of taking time to know others, we ask others to bend to our own desires, to bend to our own personal preferences. And we see it all the way all around us. We can show up with the attitude, yeah, I want you to know me, I want you to respect me, but I won't take the time to know you and respect you. And if you don't respect me the way that I want, I won't take time to work to know you either. You're not worth it, but I am. And that's where the I am statements of Jesus come in, right? We've been looking through this on Sunday mornings together seven times that Jesus tells us who he is. Uh, He reveals who he is by using a certain statement, I am the, and then some sort of description after that. And he gives us these things, revealing himself to us so that we can know him. And like the pop song that I mentioned a few minutes ago, that Jesus tells us who he is. He gives us specific things to know about him. He's not a Plato person who we can shape according to our own desires. He's also not a mystery figure that we have to figure out through reading his mind. No, what he does, he shows us who he is uh, through his life and especially through his word. There's no guessing. He tells us. And he does it so that we'd receive it. As much as a songwriter may want people to know her, uh, there is nothing that is more important in life than knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and to knowing him as he reveals himself and then shaping our lives around what he says to us. And as we'll see today, we can't really understand ourselves accurately unless we know who he is accurately. So today, who is he? What, what is one of the seven I am statements that he gives to us? It's, he is the light of the world. He says, I am the light of the world. He brings light to those areas of darkness in our life and our world. And so with that in mind, let's stand together for the reading of God's word for John chapter 8, verses 1, verses 12 through 20. John 8, 12 through 20. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught them in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. 
You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we need light. We need light to expose the dark places of our life. And God, we need light to, to guide us and lead us in this dark world. And so, Father, we just do pray that as we look at Jesus, the light of the world, that you would enlighten our minds and our hearts, Father, to know and walk with him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we look at the words of Jesus here, that he is the light of the world, we see something that is wonderful, but we also see something that can be threatening. We like light to a point, but eventually it gets uncomfortable uh, for every one of us. And here's the thing we want to look at today is that at that point of discomfort, that's the point where we, in our own lives, we need to keep letting that light in. Jesus is the light of the world. Well, what does that light reveal? Uh, you can see the point, you can see the outline inside of, your, um, inside of your bulletin if you want to follow along there. And our first point there written down is, is that the light of the world reveals the presence of God. As we go through John chapter 8, we're coming in the middle really of a, of a great debate that Jesus has uh, between him and many of the Jewish leaders. It's one of the lo- longest recorded arguments between Jesus and the religious leaders at that time. It goes all the way back to chapter 7, in fact. And you might be able to guess where the argument takes place. It's where a lot of arguments take place, even maybe within your own family. You know, the places where biases reveal themselves and, and old prejudices and old habits. Where do those usually show up in an argument in your family? Usually around the holidays, right? Well, there's a holiday that's going on here. And uh, John chapter 7, especially in verse 37, it shows us that this debate comes at something called the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, John seven thirty seven says, on the last day of the feast, on the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So this, that's uh, John seven thirty seven, And this Feast of Tabernacles is one of the three uh, biggest celebrations for the Jews. It was the recognition of God's leading them through the wilderness for 40 years as they were nomads traveling between Egypt and the promised land. And uh, God guided them during that time. During the Feast of Tabernacles, um, they would recognize that. They would honor God's provision for them that, during that time. And one of the ways they would do that is they would take uh, four uh, huge lamps in the courtyard of the temple. And these four gigantic lamps, they would light them up with lamps that were so bright uh, that the whole city of Jerusalem would be able to, to, to see it. It helped them remember of God's guidance to them. How God would appear to them as a cloud by day and a fire by night. That God would lead them when they should uproot and move on. That God would say when they should stay put and and set up camp. That God would provide this this pillar and this fire as a protection for his people. Those huge lamps would remind them of God's daily leadership, of being a protection to them. They also reminded them of something else, of God's glory inside the temple. Again, these lamps were lit right near the temple. If you would turn back to a verse like 1 Kings 8.11, you remember when the temple was first built, and the glory of God uh, was so great, it entered into that temple, and it was so great that the priests couldn't even finish their work. The lighting of those lamps at the Feast of Tabernacles would remind them of that day. But back in 1 Kings 8, it wasn't a man-made fire. It wasn't a symbolism, but it was the presence and the glory of God. 
By the time they are lighting the lamps here in Jesus' day, there was a problem that the glory of God had not appeared for a very long time. It had not appeared in the temple. In the absence of glory, they needed those giant lampstands. Even that Ark of the, the Covenant, the throne of God's Shekinah glory, that had been missing for hundreds of years, something that couldn't be replaced. And so while these lamps reminded everyone of God's glory in the past, it also reminded them of their present situation, that God's glory seemed so distant, and all they had was religion to take the place of their actual presence of God. Without God, the world is dark. And it's in this context that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. We see that in verse 12. You see what he's claiming here. He's saying that all that glory that once filled that temple is now there in him. If you want to know where the glory is found, it is found in Jesus Christ. Notice he says, I am the light of the world. This is where every one of the I am statements of Jesus, you know, really carry an extra punch. Because when he says I am, he is referring and, 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 and thoughtfully towards the very covenant name of God. Reminded in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses asked uh, God what his name was and God says, I am who I am. I am the Lord. And with, with every one of Jesus' I am statements, he's referencing, referring back to the, that name. He's a sovereign God who has come in the flesh. And now that he is here in their place, the glory of God would not be merely symbolized in religious practices or in a building, but in the very person of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying as he stands there near the temple on the Feast of Tabernacles and telling them that he is the light of the world. He's speaking about an ultimate glory that's here. There is an ultimate glory which is found in Jesus Christ that isn't found anywhere else. As great as nature is, as much as we may enjoy being out in it, we don't see God's glory there like we see it in the person of Jesus Christ. As much as we might look in a telescope and look out into the farthest expanses of the universe and see wonderful, beautiful uh, pictures of God's creation, none of that is as glorious as the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And as much as we may have our dreams and desires fulfilled and know happiness and joy inside of those, that glory is dim in comparison to Jesus Christ. I am the light of the world. He's the glory of God who's come into the world. He's also saying that he is the one who led them in the wilderness. He's saying that when they needed God, that God was with Israel and he was there with them just as he is present with them now. That he is present with them to show them that God is present with them. So they don't have to wonder if they're all alone. They don't have to, as as they wander this wilderness of life, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, providing guidance. So we're reminded that Jesus is the light of the world to show us God's glory. And so whatever wilderness that you're in right now, whatever guidance that you need as you move forward in life, whether it's in decision-making, the lifestyle that you're going to choose, and what you're going to believe, Jesus has come to be at light to show you your way, 
And so the question for you is, are you listening to him? Are you really listening to him? Are you listening to him by reading the Bible? Are you listening to him and taking his advice? Are you paying attention to him, what God is saying to you, even right now in his word? Or just counting down the minutes until we're through? Are you praying? God is not far from us, and Jesus shows us that. He shows us how close he is. Ultimately, not by sending a cloud, but by actually coming into the world. And there are times that we move far from him in our disobedience and our coldness in listening to God. There are ways that God seems distant. But he's not distant, and we see that as we walk in the light. We need to be in worship. We come to the Lord's Supper. We come in Bible study. We come in prayer. That's where Jesus is. We just rest ourselves in that light. The light of the world shows God's presence. The second point I want to look at today is the light of the world reveals evil in the world. Light can be a little threatening, too, at times. I mean, we need light from the sun to live, but that same light can be dangerous. You know, if we're out in the sun too long, what happens? Uh, We get sunburns, right? Uh, The light comes uh, down from the sun in ultraviolet rays, and, and that needs to be filtered out through our ozone layer, or we would all die. You know, sunlight even itself needs to be filtered. When Jesus says he's the light of the world, he's, as we saw, he says he has all the glory and the holiness of God in him. He's nothing less than the Holy One of Israel, the God of the universe, robed in splendor. First John 1 John 1.5 says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. You can see in those verses just the absolute holy splendor of Jesus Christ. Or you can look what Paul calls Christ in 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16. It says, The blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. You hear this, the Son of God dwelling in unapproachable light. Well, light... It's a threat to darkness. It's a threat to darkness because it destroys darkness. And the light of the world does destroy the darkness of the world. Light destroys darkness. College campuses are made safer by adding lamps. Abortion is prevented by showing a baby moving inside the womb. What happens when someone puts light on something that you shouldn't do? Like if you're doing something, all of a sudden it gets exposed. Shame, fear, guilt. When the lights come on, what happens to the cockroaches? They scatter, and the rats slink away. Where Jesus goes, he turns the lights on. Remember, as we look at the worldview of the Bible, that there's not really a competition between light and darkness. You know, we don't live in a Star Wars world where there's the dark side and the force, or this light side, and they're battling against each other and just wondering who's going to win. Think about it. When light comes into a space, what happens? Like the darkness goes away, right? There's really no competition. Light always drives darkness away. Darkness never drives light away. You know, think about a closet. If you're in a dark closet and you open the door, what happens? And there's light outside, what happens? The light comes in. Light, I mean, the darkness doesn't go out in the other room, right? The light comes in in the closet. And if you close the door, that's where it, it, it's shut. And so the only limits to light then 
are its distance, our distance away from the source of that light, right? The farther away we are from a light source, the dimmer it will appear, like the stars. Or objects that block the light, maybe like the closet door there. You know, that's, that's really the only limit of, of light. I mean, apart from that, darkness always flees from light. And in the same way, spiritually speaking, uh, there is no real battle between light and darkness. I mean, light always wins. For us, we just need to stay in his rays. We need to stay in his presence. And the only defense that darkness has is either running away or in hiding. Right? Criminals, they work behind locked doors. We sin when we think no one is looking. I've been thinking about abusive behavior recently, how, how people can look good uh, when they're in public, how they can say all the right things, even be funny, even be really attractive. But once they go in the privacy of their own homes, in intimate relationships, what happens? The anger, the violence, the hatred, the controlling behaviors, all those things come out. You know, it shows that there's, they do have control over themselves, right? Out in, out, out in the daylight, we have control over ourselves, but in the dark, we also have control, but we're using it for evil. Behind closed doors, darkness is able to, is, uh, behind closed doors, the darkness comes in, we're able to use them as protection from light. Protection was good. But the dark reveals the wickedness. The dark reveals the heart. That's why accountability is so important. Think about the internet, use of the internet. You know, people can see what you're looking at on the internet. It's easy to hide in the darkness, hide behind looking at a phone, letting evil into your life by what you watch. Same thing for our kids and think about what they're watching, what they're looking at and doing. It's a good thing, you know, good reason that if you're concerned about the use of your computer and it's being used wrongly, it can be placed in a public place. Why? You know, because darkness likes, you know, to, you know, hides, right? Hide behind objects. Put it in a public room where everyone can see. Traveling, accountability. Putting up walls, closing doors, hiding and running away. Those are the only defenses that darkness has against light. And people do those very things by making excuses. Avoiding community. Ignoring serious problems by ignoring what should be done. In John 3.20, Jesus says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to light, lest his works should be exposed. That's why people avoid walking with Christ. They don't want certain parts of their lives exposed. I mean, do you? Jesus is the light of the world. We see his perfections. We see his cleanness. We hear his words. That's a huge threat to any darkness that we harbor in our lives. In, in, In his light, we see our own imperfections. I mean, there's some bathrooms that we go into, and you just go in there, and the light is so bright, and you can see every blemish that's on your, that's on your face. You know, that's the light of Christ exposing us. It's the threat of light in the world. He shows our blemishes. He doesn't have to say anything. We see it in the way that we live. And we don't always want to see the truth about ourselves. That's choosing to live in darkness. It's choosing self-ignorance. And we can't change when we choose that way. We can't experience the power of God's grace if we stay in that darkness. If we hide our anger, our lust, our bitterness, our hate, our lying. We hide our selfishness. And that's the sort of darkness that kills. 
destroys relationships as we become isolated from others. We get stuck in that darkness by ourselves. It wrecks our conscience. It leaves us feeling like we've compromised ourselves. And staying in the dark leads to spiritual death. Jesus is the light of life. Do you ever wonder why you feel so isolated? Could it be because there's a distance from the light source of the world, from the light of the world? Are you living in your own world? Are you living in the light of the world? Are there some doors that you're putting up that blocks you off from the light of the world so you can hide some sin? Those things can leave us feeling so isolated, so separated from others. But the light of the world calls us out to expose the darkness and to lead away from death, you know, to, to expose sin to the, to the light of the world. Confessing sin to God, confessing sin to others, bringing sin out in the light. And we know the promise that we've come in the light. Jesus said, if you look at John 8, 12 again, he gives the light of life, the light of life. You know, the, this, the sun has, or light has a powerful way of, of even getting rid of certain things, of killing certain things, which we don't want there. And in the light of Christ's work, the exposure of us to him, he drives darkness away, he drives depression away, drives habitual sin away, and they begin to lose their control and power over our lives. And so while it can be painful to be exposed, it can be painful to, to see what's really in there, it can be very healthy. There's a relief when things come to life. There's a relief when we can say, at least it's over now. At least I don't have to hide that anymore doesn't have to have a grip on my life anymore. That's because our sins die, but we don't. We live. Just as plants need the light to grow, I mean, we also need that light still to grow in all of its purifying way. So instead of being overcome, we find acceptance. We find acceptance with God and fellowship with one another because of what Jesus Christ, the light of the world, has done. That's really leading us into our, our third point, We've seen God's, the light of the world as God's presence. We've seen the light of the world as exposing evil. We also see the light of the world as revealing hope to the world. We should know how much we need light. I don't know if you've ever been to Alaska. Has anybody ever been to Alaska? When we visited one time, uh, you know, we were told that a lot of people get depressed there. Uh, that's because on the shortest day of the year in Alaska, they have five and a half hours of sunlight, of, of daylight on the shortest day of the year. So our shortest day of the year is nine and a half hours. Their shortest day of the year is five and a half hours of sunlight on that day. And on top of that, it's cloudy there. I read once that there's only 150 days of sunshine in Alaska. There's, we have about 220 days of sunshine here. Um, they have about 150 days. And, and some people think that this darkness, whether it's the darkness of the clouds or the shorter days, that make it one of the uh, uh, leading states with, with suicides. There's just not enough sunlight, not enough light. Some people even buy sun lamps so they can uh, stimulate sunlight just to encourage their mood. And they say it really helps in that depression and that darkness. It's because light brings health. It's a, it's a good source of vitamin D. It's one of those essential vitamins that we need in order to be healthy. It's because we need light to live. So again, what does Jesus say in verse 12? He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, 
but will have the light of life. The light of life. The light, he's the light that gives health. That's what he's saying here. I mean, how is it that a person can bring health, right? I mean, we talk about medicine being health. We could talk about exercise making us more healthy. But what about a person bringing us health? I mean, how does that work? Jesus didn't just come to bring light in the sense where he's, he's not just saying, follow me and you'll have a better understanding of the world. In other words, he's not just bringing knowledge when he says he's bringing light. He's bringing health, right? Because he's the source. He's the source of life. The moon is something which reflects light, but the sun is the source of that light. Our world's sick because it doesn't have light, and there's a daunting darkness in our world, and we know that evil happens in darkness, and that's what Jesus came to expose. That daunting darkness is not just outside of us, but it's also inside of us. Have you ever been overtaken by darkness? The darkness of personal tragedy? The darkness of being stuck in a habitual sin? The darkness of experiencing the consequences of sin? The darkness that's so thick that you can't see your way out of it? Whether it comes from yourself and a decision you made or whether it comes from the difficulty of things that are happening to you, it can seem so hard. But there's a way out, and that's in Jesus Christ. So you got sent a person to know us that we could know, to walk in that time with us and to lead us out and to lead us to the source, and to lead us to light and to lead us to life. You know, some of the healthy things that we can have in our lives, which are most healthy, are relationships. And what is there that's more healthy in this world than having a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? John 12, 35, Jesus says, Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. John 12, 35, Walk while you have the light. Walk with Christ. Walk with him. Know him. Relate with him. Be in fellowship with him. He's the light that brings health. And so when Jesus says he is the light of the world, he, he gives hope. He came to light up our lives. He came to light up our communities. He came to illuminate the darkness within the world and to bring light to that and hope. And so we say that we don't have to despair over our lives. We don't have to despair over the world. We don't have to despair over the headlines. We keep our eyes looking at the light. And once you have that, that knowledge of that light, that knowledge of that one, darkness is never satisfying again when it keeps staying there. Remember years and years ago, I saw a movie with my kids called The Tale of Despero, and it was the story of a mouse and a princess and a rat, and the rat's name was Roscuro. And the rat used to spend his days on a boat, and he traveled the ocean, and then Ultimately, he was marooned on an island, and he was chased off to live with the rest of the rats of the city of Dor. Now, that rat village was typical of what you think a rat village would be. It was dark, and it was selfish, and it was chaotic, and they even ate garbage. And Roscoe, even though he was a rat, he never quite fit in. You know, during his time there, he was stuck in a dungeon. It was, it was, it was a dark place, but he had one thing that encouraged him. That his house, he could remove a brick from the wall and let light stream in that house. Now, he wasn't raised a rat, so he knew something was different. And even when he got stuck in a dark time of his life, he knew 
the joy of being in the light. Ross Kuro knew how good light was. See, he was unsatisfied with the darkness that he was in. He had hoped that he could go back. And as a result, he didn't live like a rat, even though he was in darkness. He ate good food, not the garbage, and even tried to help people. He, didn't, he acted very unrat-like. And that's what it's like to know Jesus. Once you know light and really walk in it, you keep that hope in the way that you live, no matter where you go. Even in dark times, you know what it is to live in light. A lot of people live in darkness because they don't know how good the light is. They haven't received Christ. They haven't entered that relationship with him. Test him in this. Trust him in this. Walk in the light and see how good he is. You won't go back to darkness. So Jesus is this light of the world who's overcome darkness, not just by shining a light around, but he overcame darkness by taking it into himself. You see, Jesus doesn't just shine a light on us and say, look at you, look at your sin, look at your shame. What is wrong with you? He doesn't just shame us. Expose the darkness in our hearts just to make us feel bad. He came into the world to carry the darkness away. If darkness is going to win, remember what has to happen, right? We talked about two things. You know, either a, either a greater distance away. I guess you could shut a door or you could extinguish the light, right? That's probably a third way you can get rid of light. Is by extinguishing it. Well, on the cross, the light of the world was extinguished. It was snuffed out. Jesus' death was the extinguishing of that light. Remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross? The sky turned dark. It wasn't just because Jesus was dying. It was because God had laid all the darkness of human sin upon him. All the darkness of your heart, every wall, every hiding place, every barrier that you ever erected between you and God, all those things were put upon him on the cross. And when he died on the cross, that was the first time he knew the isolation of sin, the wrath of God, the darkness of separation from his father. What darkness surrounded Jesus that day? That was your darkness. That was my darkness. It was the darkness of all of his people. Now remember how he said that darkness always loses to light? We're reminded what happened next. Jesus Christ raised from the dead in the resurrection. The light of the world was reignited. Darkness and death were destroyed. And so you no longer need to live in isolation and darkness. But you can know and follow the light of the world. Only the light of the world could take away the darkness of the world. That's the ultimate victory of the light. The light of the world took away the darkness of the world. That's our gospel hope. So as we conclude today, I want you to think about how this applies to you. First of all, if you're here and you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, you might find that you are walking in darkness. Certain sins control you. You can have the darkness of depression because you wonder if there's anything to hope in. The isolation you feel will not go away until you walk in the light of believing in Jesus Christ. The darkness of this world only brings death, shame, isolation from God. But trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Know his light. Know the life he gives. As you do, you don't know the joy and the love he brings also. And if you're here and you followed Christ for a while, 
So let me ask you, are there areas of your life that you're letting remain in shadows? Are there habits that you're tucking away out of sight? Are there things that no one knows about and you hope God doesn't either? Are there behaviors that leave you in isolation? Are there fears that leave you in darkness? Have you given up on living your relationship with God? And have you contented yourself simply with just going to church and hoping that God would accept you? Or is every part of your life being lived in the light of the glory of God in Jesus Christ? The only way to deal with darkness is to expose it, to bring your situation to Christ, bring your situation to God, to confess sin, to, to, to dwell in the presence of God in reading his word, to dwell in his presence in prayer, to dwell in his presence in worship. If there's a sin which is, which is habitual and controlling in you, to bring it to another person, a person that is a good friend to you, who can walk with you through that. Today at the end of our service, our elders are up here to pray with. Maybe it's an elder you need to come bring that sin to. You know, but bring it to the light, the light of Christ, that severs the destructive power of sin. And finally, as we conclude, as a church, who are we? You know, if Jesus is the light of the world, who are we? You know, we're called to be a lampstand, right? We shine Christ's light through us and the rest of the world. That under his light, the people who live in darkness, darkness from suffering, darkness from unbelief, darkness from sin, darkness and loneliness, can find the light of the world, the hope for themselves, true community, and the hungering after righteousness, the joy of the Lord, that that would be their strength. We're the light of the world. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, the darkness of evil leaves our world in the death of despair. Father, the darkness of sin leaves us in the death of isolation. Father, we've known despair. We've known isolation. God, those come from not knowing, not living in the light of Christ. But you've dealt with those through Jesus. Father, you've taken our sin, all of our darkness, upon him. And Father, you've given us light and life through him living forever. Father, help us to find our life and hope in him. We look to him today, even as we come to the Lord's Supper, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.